0: Ever thought about starting your own podcast? The Maverick Podcasting Network makes creating and running your podcast easy and fun. Visit maverickpodcasting.com to get started today.
1: Hi, my name is Jordana. You're listening to The Ultimate Guide in my podcast, Drink It In. In this series, we hear from some of today's most influential therapists and life coaches in the Jewish community. I gained so much insight from each one of them, and I know you will too. Enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. This is Jordana Baracha from Drink It In underscore Jordana. We are in season five. I can't believe we're in season five right now. But we are in for such a treat. This is a crazy story. When I first started my podcast and I was doing season one about social media and I wanted to do all these different types of women from social media and where's the line, I was very drawn to Alicia Verliss on her Instagram account. Everything she posted was with such great wisdom and I just loved it so much. And I reached, I reached out to her and I was supposed to actually interview her for season one, but schedules just weren't fitting in. And then when I finally now got to season five and I had this epiphany, I'm like, well, I'm gonna do therapists, life coaches, because that's something I'm I'm focused on right now in my own head. I was like, let me come back to Ellie Sheva. Oh my gosh. And we are finally making it work. So Ellie Sheva, could you please introduce yourself to everybody?
0: Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to be here and talking to you. Um, I love your energy. It's so like smiley and bubbly. <laughs> I wish your yes. your podcast audience could see your smile. Well, thank you. Thank <laughs> Maybe you. Thank you. The video. Um, anyway, yes. Hi. Thank you. I'm Ellie Chevalis. Um, my my official title professionally is LMFT, licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, But I've actually been very privileged because um, I I write about this in my book, but I like to tell this story is that a number of years ago, I came across an old essay that I had written when I was, I think, in second grade. And it said, when I grow up, I want to be a mom, a teacher, a therapist and a writer. And um, and I I was like, I kind of got the chills when I saw that because I'm like, oh, I I really had the opportunity to do all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I was in my 20s and in grad school, I was I was teaching at the high school, teaching high school and college and a little bit of adult education. Um, then I went to school and I became a, a licensed therapist, um, I started writing I started blogging and writing articles about therapy topics and then I got to write a book on one of the therapy interventions that I tend to use a lot. And. Um, and most recently, I've become, a, and I'm a mom, thank God, <laughs> and uh, that's first and foremost, um, and, uh, and I'm also now a digital educator, so I, I really have gotten to do all of the things that my seven-year-old self wanted to do, which I'm really, really grateful for and find extremely fulfilling, and I also kind of get to weave in and out of those roles, like I still get to teach, um, I still get to uh, write and um, and and see clients and lecture so a little bit of everything
1: it's it's uh you know really gratifying work thank god and i feel so honored and privileged also to have you here because i'm going to there's so many things that you touch on that it's so funny that i feel like our lives collide a little bit in that sense well i'm a mom also and i'm also a teacher and i'm also like transitioning professionally a bit um i'm now down to half a day and what's even funnier is when you said you were seven you wrote this um this essay of yours. When I was six, I gave my first class. It was, I, I mean, my audience has heard it before. I I was in bungalow colony and I was doing a whole dance routine in front of my bungalow. And I was six years old. And the ladies of the bungalow colony came over to my mom and, like, can Jordana give us a class? My mom's like, she's six. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, so fun. <laughs> they're like, we, we don't care. And my mom's like, but she's six. They go, no, no, you no, are, no.
0: You're performing and educating. Yes. And, and I gave
1: a class. I gave an exercise <laughs> class. I was like uh, Jacqueline, uh, you know, giving these <laughs> classes and the lines that they remember, I would say, lift those legs ladies, or I'd walk up and down the, the rows and I'd be like, okay, just because I stopped doesn't mean you stop. I'm watching you now. And if it rained, we went into the clubhouse. I mean, it was like, <laughs> it was because people are just born to perform like born right? the it's, it's, yes. it's so funny so that we have that in common and and this transitioning and and it's just like unbelievable how you've transformed this career of yours and truly it's so it's so i think it's so powerful and empowering to hear a religious jewish mom you know accomplish so much so many times people say, how do, you, how do you get it done? How do you do this? And, and, and you just know that it, it, you could get it done and, and it, it is doable. Obviously, there's always, it's hard. <laughs> no one, you know, people don't realize, they think, oh, it's easy. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean everything's served. You have to work for it. So I just, I'm so glad you're here. Um, now like I had said I had met you through Instagram and then you just had mentioned about your digital courses so how did that whole social media thing come about because I don't I don't think it was before covid you were already doing this right yes yes I was in fact I was
0: actually seeing clients virtually before COVID to the point where like some of my colleagues gave me a little bit of a hard time for it. And they would say things like, you can't possibly think people are getting the same benefits from you know, virtual sessions as they would from the energy of live face-to-face sessions. And I would say, I'll do you one better. I actually have clients that I don't even know what their faces look like because yeah, some of my more, very, very religious clients, you know, some Hasidish or very yeshivish clients, they don't really have um, internet in their house. And so they were doing complete phone sessions i don't even know what they look like Um, and they actually did beautifully so number one i wouldn't say that you know virtual or phone therapy is for everyone not every modality translates that well Um, my approach happens to work beautifully that way so it you know it's something i was doing and the reason i did it in the past was because of long distance right like not everybody is within an x number of mile radius to be able to come so it like really expands your ability to help people if you can do it you know virtually Um, And also what I tell people when I'm kind of doing the intake process is if you're someone who doesn't do well on the phone with other people, you can't make a phone call and feel connected and express yourself well, then you're probably not a great candidate for virtual therapy and you should seek somebody live. Um, But the vast majority of people that I work with do beautifully on virtual and I, I just I like for people to know that because it really expands your possibilities of whom you can work with you're no longer limited geographically and again if your preference is to go live, then you should go live. But, um, you know, at least that's been my experience. So yeah, I was doing virtual sessions um, and virtual talks even before COVID. Um, and what was funny is these same um, colleagues and people who were critical of it before, everyone was like, wow, the virtual thing can work so well. It's so great, now we can, you know, I like it. I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> see. <laughs> so that was kind of validating. <laughs> um, I actually wanted to, to backtrack a second and comment on something you said before about like doing so many things and wearing so many hats because um, I do think that a lot of people and women in particular will look out there in the world and see people who, are, who seem to have accomplished a lot or who are able to do a lot of different things. And one thing that I think is really important, I don't remember which like a famous feminist said this, maybe like Betty Frieda, I don't remember who said this, but you know, you could do it all, but you can't do it all at once. Right. Um, you know, Number one, it doesn't happen overnight. And number two, there are certain things that like, y- sometimes you could just focus on like one or a couple things at a time. And so let's say for example, um, you know, being a teacher and a therapist, you know, so I, that overlapped a little bit for me, um, but, but ideally you, you don't necessarily, you wanna kind of be focusing on one thing at a time. When your kids are little, for example, um, you know, if you have babies or little kids, you're not going to be able to give them the same attention that you would, you know, if you weren't a career person, um, you know, and so at different stages, like very often a lot of the things that I do, like I'm also a homeschooling mom, so I had to structure my day a certain way to be able to be available for my children, be available for my clients, be available for myself, for continuing education, for self-care, um, for my marriage, for my social life, you know, and, and that, that's a really tricky balancing act. Um, I don't clean my house. I pay people to clean my house because that's something I'm really bad at. (laughs) Um, And it's the worst investment of my time. (laughs) Um, So, you know, so, you know, something's got to give for me. It's housekeeping because that's the thing I'm worst at and I don't enjoy. And, you know, thank God, because I work, I can, I can delegate that, Um, you know? And so I just think, you know, for for people who are feeling kind of like intimidated or overwhelmed when they see, you know, other career people or especially women, you know, it, it takes time and it's okay for it to take time and not every everyone has to do everything or all, all the things, you know, it's good to sort of like figure out like at every stage of life, reevaluate, you know, what is the best use of my time and focus and energy? Because that really is a, a very precious resource. So I just wanted to comment on that.
1: I'm so glad you did because I have something very similar. It's crazy. Um, especially about the housekeeping. I've always worked full time. And, but, I, and also I, I love where I work and I love what I do. So when you have kids, I have six kids and they've, raising them and they see that mommy ima loves to go to work and so enjoyable. I, on a certain extent now, I feel bad. I have two married daughters and, and, and they go to work and some of them enjoy, some of them don't. Why don't we enjoy work? Not everybody necessarily enjoys to such an extent. So that's number one. Also, you know, even though my children lived in the home and they saw I had full-time help every day from, I think it was from eight to 5.30 every day. I had full-time help except for Sunday and, and, and Shabbos. But Monday through Friday, I had help. I don't know when the last time I did laundry. You know what I mean? Something like that. And and in their mind, they think like I'm Superwoman, And I would even go to like a, a therapy session with them. And and the therapist would say, you know, uh, she says, you're so amazing. She says, you're so busy. I said yeah she does does she also tell you that I don't clean <laughs> does she tell you I don't do this I don't do that, that and the therapist says no she doesn't I said I know it it's a certain uh persona that for some reason that we give off and, and not not on purpose at all not deliberate yeah not deliberate at all but the people don't realize they 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 think a certain way, maybe, maybe it's our personality. I don't know what it is, but I do not get it all done. If I didn't have the help in the house and I purposely always had help in my house and I didn't bring my kids out and it was deliberate in the sense of, cause I knew if I brought my kids out, they could get sick <laughs> from other children. And then sure. that would be more problems for me. So I always wanted someone in my house that I could like really oversee more. The other thing that you said that was also resonated a lot with me um, was, oh my gosh. How do you like that? I can't even read my own handwriting. Ah! <laughs> you said the housekeeping and then, oh my gosh. Okay, oh, well, he will come to me, come to me <laughs> another time. So, uh, oh, well, there goes that flow. <laughs> but, but I wanted to also touch on um, the concept of your book. Okay. Um, the process. The, or the, the process. Yes, I think that is so cool, and I'll just say why I think it's cool, because that is a dream of mine. I do have a book within me, and I was advised that I, I. Uh... Oh, you know, wait, wait, now I remember, I remember. Okay, okay. Guess this goes into it. I could read my handwriting. It says emergency room. Okay, so this. <laughs> I remember what it was. Okay. So then we'll get back to the book. So now you know what my next thing is going to be about. So the emergency room. This is what I always say. You talk about every stage of life, you know, how we interact with our kids and, and what their needs. So I'm I'm divorced now. So it's gonna be like a year and a half soon. And my older kids would say to me, Ima, you're not as attentive to the younger ones, what's going on for us? You were so attentive. You so uh, I, I said, okay. I said, so I gave them this example. I have an emergency room. Tell me, Elishev, you're the expert. Okay. So I gave them an example. You can tell me if it's horrible. You can let, let me have it. I tell them when I was in the marriage, unfortunately, obviously there was a reason why I got divorced. There was a lot going on, a lot of turmoil, a lot of dysfunction, I would say in a certain way. And I was always fixing, 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 making sure the kids are okay. they, they weren't hurt from this. They weren't hurt from that. Like just trying to fix things up. And I felt like I was like in an emergency room. You know, when you're in the emergency room, someone's always taking your triage. vitals, check. Yeah. you know, this nurse comes over, this doctor, this attendee, da, 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 nonstop when you're emerging. But then when you're stabilized and they get you to a room, not everybody's checking on you on every two seconds cause you're more stable. So I told my older kids, we're no longer in the emergency room. We have now been admitted into the room. <laughs> so you don't see me attending to the kids the same way as before, but I don't have to. As much I have check-ins, I spent time. It's not like I ignore my kids. I mean, this, I'm not ignoring my kids, but I'm just saying it's just so different. The older kids are looking at me now and how I interact, but they don't. They don't understand the the how the family dynamics have changed and how I am now changing as a mom. That did that example make sense? Yeah, it made a lot of sense. You
0: know, we call that survival mode, you know, that there's a a certain like adrenaline that courses through you when you're in survival mode, um, which, you know, we've all always only lived in our own lives. So we never get to sort of like step out and try on somebody else's life for a day or two. So that's the paradigm that we have. So even though in your case you know you were trying to shield your older children from whatever distress was going on in the marital unit of the of the family so you like probably overcompensated by trying to take extra good care of them and protect them and right um but actually even for people who aren't dealing with the tumultuous marriage there there's a kind of a stereotype of like sort of helicopter parenting the, the parenting the first round of kids and then by the time you know they talk about like people feed their oldest kid organic and by the youngest they're drinking coke out of a sippy cup you know so <laughs> you know so there's Anyway, sort of a natural evolution of right. like letting go of that need to like parent so intensely. Um, and there's really something to be said for a little benign negligence, <laughs> negligence is a terrible way to put it. Right. But you know, I, I think that a lot of parents start out by hyper focusing on their older kids and maybe like some of the, the kids further down the family actually do a little bit better without so much parental intervention. Again, everything could be extremes, you know? Right. Right. So, so yeah. So, but 100%. You know, I, I think that there's definitely something about, you know, and Kids who are raised in the same family aren't necessarily raised in the same family because what your family history was transpiring, you know, when your oldest was a preschooler, it looks very different. My kids, I mean, um, my, my kids like to sometimes compare notes how and they're p- relatively close in age, my oldest is twenty-two, my youngest is 14. So they're not like, so there's five of them, thank God, you know, and so, so there's not a huge range. Um, but it's enough of a range as far as like what our family was experiencing at different stages, and how we evolved as parents and our values and our rules kind of evolved with us. And so you know, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, it sounds like you have a great relationship with your kids. So, you know, whatever mistakes you made along the way, they were giving a brave review to their therapist. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Okay. So yeah, now, yeah. now, now that book. I remembered what I wanted to say, now we're yeah. back to the book. So yes. this is the only one I'd love for you to tell everyone the title of your book, what your book is about, and then, um, how you came about writing, a, how long did it take you? What was the, like the process of it? Like I just, I'm enthralled. I want to know. I want to know it all. Go ahead. (laughs) My pleasure. So now
0: you say you've been teaching since you're six. I've been writing since I was six, you know, for as long as I can remember, I always had like a little like, you know, marble notebook or notepad or something. I was in the middle of some kind of usually fiction story, sometimes poetry. You know, I always, I was a very weird kid, totally nerdy. Um, And I, I loved writing Um, mostly fiction, but also, you know, kind of journals and thoughts and, you know, poetry and you know, kind of philosophical stuff. I was like editor of my school newspaper and yearbook, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. I always love writing. And so um, I actually thought I would publish a lot younger than I did. I ended up publishing when I was around 40. I was like, you know, if I don't get to it now, <laughs> it's like midlife. Right. Um, but I had written articles and blog posts and I always enjoyed it. And um, eventually I was just kind of like, I really want to write my book, but I, I wasn't clear at, at what point, like what the book was going to be about or something. I just knew I had all these different thoughts that I wanted to share. And then I started to write, and the book is called Find Your Horizon of Healthy Thinking. Um, and it's about a narrative therapy technique that I sort of developed in, in collaboration with different clients over the years on sort of trying to take, um, I can summarize it in like a minute or two. Basically it, the, the theory is that um, any thought or feeling or relationship or challenge or anything that we go through we can interact with in one of three categories of ways. Um, what I call below, on, or above the horizon of healthy thinking. And I use a metaphor. I was on the beach when I thought of this. I have a beach not far from my house, and I like to walk there for, you know, exercise and a really, really limited extra stroll, <laughs> really. Um, and um, uh, and I was just looking out at the horizon and sort of like meditating and like looking, feeling like spiritual. And I And I had this like kind of insight that connected to something that I was experiencing kind of personally. And I realized that there are kind of three ways that we can engage with anything that we're dealing with. And below the horizon is you picture like a riptide or a whirlpool pulling you under. So when we are sort of flooded or swamped with like unproductive, unused, not useful, unhelpful, negative feelings and thoughts. And we all get to feeling like that from time to time. It's a totally normal human experience. But when we can notice that and just just sort of say like, I am in that mode. And then the book goes through different examples and, and styles of how we get pulled below the horizon. But when we can name it, we can tame it. When we can say, okay, this is what's going on. Then we sort of like pull ourselves up out of that like swamp and say, okay, but hold on a second. This isn't my entire reality. This is a mood I'm in, right? Then we have what's called on the horizon of healthy thinking. And so I have like pictures here. I can pull off my wall. I have um, like pictures on my wall to show these metaphors, of like a yeah. sailboat bobbing along the waves of the horizon. And that that's when we just sort of acknowledge reality for what it is. We just sort of say we take that whole intense negative charge out of it. We say it is what it is, and we start dealing with it like as is. Then the optimal place that we come from, the third, is above the horizon. And for that, I have a picture of a seagull flying over the over the horizon. And it's when we become able to transcend. So either we start to think in terms of more helpful, proactive, and empowered ways to navigate whatever it is that we're dealing with or more accepting peaceful ways of just saying you know what I can be okay with this being what it is and then sort of like reorganize my assets and strengths and um and joy you know uh, to around whatever the reality is kind of like re um adjust accordingly and so you know sort of the above the horizon version branches into two categories action and acceptance usually a combination thereof anyway so this was like the the core idea behind the book But basically I had started writing it as an article. And my son, who was a teenager at the time, um, he was like sort of reading over my shoulder. And um, I was like, do you like this idea? And he's like, I like it, but Ma, it's not an article. It's a book. And I looked at him and I was like, oh, you're right. This is a book. This is not an article. and and that's really where the idea of it being a book rather than an article was born um, and then it took like people say how long did it take to write the book so officially I would say it probably took me a little over a year and a half like from when I started to write the outline but the concepts took a lot longer than that to develop it was really something that, that took place over the arc of the career um, and so um, that was like stage one you know kind of coming up with the idea and writing I did, I'm not a disciplined writer some people write you know between you know five and eight in the morning I'm not like that I would just take sn- of time for me, writing is pleasurable. So I don't have to be disciplined about it. I just grab time, you know, instead of housework that I don't want to do. Um, so, <laughs> you know, so that, that's that. Um, and then in terms of the process of publishing, so I don't want to get into it too much because I don't know how much your reader, your listeners like care about this, but basically there are two primary ways you could publish. There's um, traditional publishing companies and um, self-publishing. I did a lot of research. I ended up choosing to self-publish. Um, I don't know whether it was the right thing to do because I never did the other way, um, but, <laughs> but it was fine. Um, that that's pretty much the story in my book and um, yeah and it was like really kind of a dream come true I hope to write another one at some point but I'm not in a rush <laughs> that's
1: so cool yeah so I, I had met with a, a publishing company I think I'm not even sure it might be the same one um, the, also to the self um, and mm-hmm. we were trying to come up with different books that I could write so of course the book that I want to write they said you have to probably wait 10 years That's just like the book of all my life experiences and everything that I've been through like my a memoir life. a memoir yes Yes, but he felt my youngest is twelve, and that would be unfair to him. Yeah, unkind. <laughs> yeah. So let him let let him reach the ripe old age of twenty-two, perhaps. I mean, I guess I could always get started writing and it doesn't mean it just won't come out yet. You know, it, will I,
0: probably, it would probably be a very therapeutic process anyway. You know, yes. one, of the, one of the primary modalities of narrative therapy is externalization, which is kind of using journaling to write out your story. So then whether you publish it or not, some of my articles actually started out as journal entries, you know, just some mm-hmm. thoughts and reflections that I had
1: about things and then sharing them.
0: Right.
1: Um, well, that, it's so funny you say it, cause that's, you know you know, we're going to get to you. I heard you mention once that you have a business coach or you had a business coach. So I also I do. She's wonderful. Oh, yeah. okay. So you can let us know who it is soon. So I had a business coach also last year. And one of the things also she had gotten me to do one, she got me to do this podcast. That was one of the things she pushed me to do, which was unbelievable, which I find very therapeutic. I mean, I've one of the things my one of my oldest stories to tell me, Ima, you need friends, you need friends, you need friends. You can't, you know, you are now no longer married. You need to go out. And I've made such good Friends just from the podcasts alone. And it's just like, so unbelievable. And, I, and I, I can't believe it. Like just for that alone, it was awesome. Just the, the mm-hmm. friendships I've made really, really unbelievable, really deep friendships. Um, and then she also trained me to do what I do also on my Instagram, besides the little videos, I have something called a moment in time mm-hmm. where I pick a memory from my life and I talk about it. And I try to connect it to something Judaism wise. I do these moments and times, and I find it so, so therapeutic that I write these out. And that was one of the things I was thinking of. Maybe I should put that into a book. The publishing company said, no. I was thinking of putting my uh, drink it in because I have already three entries, each Torah portion. I have three already. So he said, so he was like, oh, a partial book? There aren't many partial books written by women. That would be cool, but no one's going to buy it. Like, <laughs> <Aww. laughs> Okay. Anyway, but that was, uh, but that, I was just curious about that process. Very cool. So let me hear about this, the business coach. Like what, what made you think to get a business coach? uh, uh, Like, tell me all about it. Sure.
0: So it was actually sort of a a process, process, you know, kind of like an arc, um, an evolution, which was that um, first I was a teacher and I loved teaching, but there were aspects of teaching that, you know, I guess for me, the primary reason for moving out of teaching was that I really found that I enjoyed working with people more than working with curriculum. And so I I just, you know, kind of went back to grad school, I'd always had in mind that maybe I was going to go back to grad school and become a therapist. And so that's what I did. Um, and also, what I really loved is that eventually, my hope was to go into private practice, which thank God, I was able to do, you know, fairly, fairly early on in the career, um, you have to do a little bit of working under other people first and being supervised, etc. But then um, working for yourself, um, working for myself was a really nice career change, both in terms of being able to make my own hours and set my own rates. And like, I'm not a very good team p- player, I really like work better as a solo I wasn't like arguing with anyone, (laughs) I'm not a good rule follower, you know, (laughs) Okay. Um, and so, um, you know, so when you move from working for a company or a nonprofit to working for yourself, there's sorts of, you have to sort of start thinking in a more entrepreneurial way. Um, and I never had to market my practice. That was something that it, I was just very blessed. It kind of like grew organically. I, I guess I marketed it, but not on purpose, you know, by, you know, lecture gigs and articles and, you know, just it's called content marketing as opposed to like, say, so taking out an ad in a paper. Content marketing is offering content and then based on your content that attracts the right sort of clientele to you. Um, but then when I wrote the book, I realized that like, oh, the book doesn't just sell itself. Like I didn't have any kind of like a public sort of personality or following I had my own little private practice yeah my neighborhood people know me I speak in the shuls whatever but like it wasn't enough so um, I ended up uh, opening a social media account at the basis of my uh, publicist you know publishing you know coach to uh to market the book which is funny because I very rarely talk about the book on my social media <laughs> I say. most of the engagement that I have people are like oh you wrote a book I'm like I'm really not doing my job here um, but <laughs> I started learning a little bit more about marketing. Um, Shout out to my coach, Heather Parity. Heather's more than just a business coach. She's like, um, she's a creative and she's a multi-passionate and she's just really someone who's kind of like um, a one-stop shop for someone like me that has um, IP, intellectual property. But I had, I actually really originally went to her because she um, was the uh, podcast producer of a good friend of mine, my fr- a friend of mine who was doing a mental health podcast. And, um, and I said, oh, you know, you're not techie. Who, did, who does your podcast stuff for you? And she said, oh, he- you need a Heather. So she directed sure. me to Heather and I called Heather and I actually thought I wanted to launch a podcast. But in our um, uh, a clarity call, she's like, Elisabeth, it doesn't sound like you want to do a podcast. It sounds like you want to create digital courses. And I was like, oh, tell me more about that. <laughs> and um, she totally guided me properly. And she told me, you know, um, this is what you would do digital course wise. I found writing. Th- Doing, you know, creating the digital courses to be a lot easier than writing the book. They're both very enjoyable, but totally different processes, Um, significantly more lucrative. But that also could be because I didn't know anything about marketing when I wrote the book, whereas Heather really held my hand and taught me how to do the marketing for the course, which I think makes a big difference. But at the same time, um, just in terms of from a business model perspective, um, a course is something that, uh, for a book, you have to invest a lot of your own time and money into before you ever see an audience for it. Um, Whereas a a digital course is a much more sort of a biofeedback loop with your audience. You can do it like a a drip schedule, You know, like create it and and drip it out um, and get feedback from your audience. was just, you know, just from a, an entrepreneurial perspective, um, a much better um, experience or a much, a much easier process to do. Again, having the guidance along the way really made a big difference. But I did have a book coach also. So I, I guess I could compare the two. Um, yeah, sorry. So
1: you mentioned your digital courses. Yes. Are you, what, are, what are the ones that you're giving right now? Okay. So actually
0: most of the, all of the ones that I have at the moment are pre-recorded. That doesn't mean I'm never going to oh. go to just, yeah. I mean, occasionally I'll do like a class on Zoom or a multi-part class on, you know, Zoom, but oh. um, I actually like the idea of what Heather calls repurposing. <laughs> so that even if like you speak once, then you put it up as a, a mini course, you know, and then people can re-access it if you missed it the first time. It's kind of like on Instagram, you do a live, but then you have it as your IGTV if people want to catch it afterwards. But this is just right. a product that, you know, people purchase as opposed to, um, you yeah. know, as opposed to if fr- free social media content. Um, so, But that, that's not how I did. The primary course is not the first one that I did, but the main one that I was building up to, again, at Heather's recommendation. I wanted to do the course on Horizon of Healthy Thinking. But in our discussion, she said, what else you got? And um, I started to tell her that I have an accidental specialty in my therapy practice treating sexual dysfunction. And I call it accidental. I never intended to go into that area of expertise, but God sent me there. And this is like, at any given point, like probably 75% of my caseload is sexual issues. And um, not all sexual issues. There's a bunch of sexual issues that I don't treat. But this is, you know, usually marital sexual dysfunction. Anyway, um, that is, that's my area of expertise. And as a sort of a corollary to that expertise, anytime I would give a lecture or go speak somewhere, be interviewed, always uh, in the Q&A, it would come around to some people would start asking questions and the audience would always come alive on the following issue how can we teach our children to be better educated sexually than we were? That was always the problem. Like people, regardless of like the community, the background, like people always just wanted more information in this area. Um, you know, particularly in the religious demographic, which is, the, which is my main demographic, but even not, like, I feel like most adults, if you speak to them, you know, did you feel like you got, healthy, accurate, well-rounded sex ed, they're gonna say, no, not enough, not good enough. And there were repercussions for me. Mm. Um, and so this is, this is something that people were really clearly wanting to hear a lot about. There's something that a lot of people, even therapists are not comfortable talking about. Um, I wasn't super comfortable talking about it myself at the beginning, but it like kind of dropped itself into my lap and this became an area of sort of specialty for me. Um, I, Trained, you know, under sex therapists, and really kind of ended up having to make myself more knowledgeable on it. Um, and I realized that, you know, this is the kind of course that really I didn't know it could be. It exists. I just I didn't know of one. And so my primary course that I offer is called um, Sacred, Not Secret: A Religious Family's Guide to Healthy, Holy Sexuality Education. And it incorporates um, from a Jewish perspective. Although not everybody who takes the course is Jewish. I have some religious Christians who relate to the Torah content as well. Because I try to make it, you know, translate everything into English anyway. Um, but um, it's, you know, sort of God faith based um, values, but really honest and open, no euphemism, very biologically accurate, clear information for parents and educators. This is another interesting twist, like a plot twist. I created the course for parents and educators, right? For people who in the in, in the position of teaching children. Ultimately, a significant percentage, I don't know exactly what number, but a lot of the people who take the course are not parents. They're not educators. Some of them are not, uh, are single. They've never been married. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these people are using, and some are married, but not with children yet. A lot of the, a lot of the learners are using the material to hear their own inner child. We're mm-hmm. saying like, you know, for me, it was so traumatic what I wasn't taught as a kid and the repercussions that it had on my own developments or experiences that I had, or, or, or you know, becoming sexually active, whatever I did. It was so, it was so traumatic that, you know, it would have been so nice to hear it this way. And there's something about like their inner child kind of hearing what would be good to learn and knowing that if they have children, this is how they want to teach it to them, that that's very therapeutic for them. Yeah. So that's not what the, that was not what I had in mind for the course, but I've gotten some of the most beautiful emails from people saying like, you know, I sat and cried with my husband, we re- we did this together and I told him things that I'd never told him before, or, you know, so really um you know, this has been a really gratifying, that was like sort of my magnum opus, <laughs> like the main, like I put in the most work in it. um It's the, you know, it's the longest, biggest course that I have. um And that's, yeah, that's the main one. I've also done a few others, one on like private practice pro tips for therapists, just kind of like some tips that I, you know, supervise the things I teach my supervisees. Um, another one about homeschooling. Another one about how to make the most out of your therapy experience um, for like the someone who's going to therapy for the first time, or even not for the first time, but hasn't had a great experience in therapy and wants to learn how as a client they could be more empowered. Um, there are one or two others that I'm not remembering, but those are shorter courses. But yeah, so that's that's what I've done, and you know, thank God for Heather because I'm very low tech. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I, you know, you had mentioned the inner child and things like that was there any life experience, you know, sometimes you say like somebody um, had a parent who got sick and then they, that inspired them to become a doctor or, you know, you had a lot of pets growing up. You want to be a veterinarian. I don't know, like, you know what I mean? Was there anything that it, from your childhood that you could recall besides the fact I got it that you're an author, you write, okay, got that. Was there anything that like you saw as yourself as a child that really prompted you to go to, through the route of becoming this therapist?
0: I guess, I guess you could say it's in my blood. My dad's a psychologist. Ah. So, um, you know, so it was very, a very sort of like therapy literate kind of home. There were like psychology books around philosophy books around. And my dad was very generous, kind of like sharing, um, theory information, obviously never information about his clients, but, um, you know, but just like the idea of what therapy was and psychology was very much like sort of mixed into mm-hmm. the baby food of my home. Um, also, I grew up in Manhattan on the Upper West Side. And so my home, which probably is similar to a lot of the other uh, Orthodox homes on the Upper West Side, we always had really interesting company at our Shabbos table. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I guess a combination of the fact that my dad's a therapist, my mom is also very much a people person and educator, um, you know, they would sort of like bring out really fascinating human stories and um, the conversations were just very um, unique and um, informative and expansive for us. So we kind of grew up in a culture of appreciating people and their life stories, Um, And sometimes there would, you know, there'd be very painful stories. So it really helped, you know, it made me appreciate, you know, growing up in a loving home. Um, But yeah, I think just, you know, kind of being surrounded by people talking about their lives and, you know, having a father who was, you know, blessed to have a very is he should live and be well, blessed to have a very fulfilling career in a helping profession as well. Um, I guess, I guess that would be kind of, it it was almost like, I didn't, you know, sometimes people have to go through like a thought process of like, what do I want to be when I grow up? For me, it was almost like, Which of the things that I know I love doing, am I definitely going to be doing for most of the day? You know, it wasn't so much of a choice as much of a, as it was a calling. So I I guess, yeah, I guess maybe those would be, those would be the, the, the pulls, but honestly, it was almost like a spiritual draw, you know, like sometimes you just like, you say something or you write something and you're like, I don't even know where that came from. It was like, you know, kind of like being, being propelled, you know? So I I think that's
1: probably how I ended up. It's funny you say that, you know, I, I'm, I'm the youngest of four. My, uh, my three siblings were all dentists and my father was a dentist. So it just oh, makes sense. And I, I, exactly. I used to, uh, exactly. And I used to always say, in order for me to get along at this Shabbos table, I need to go to dental school. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be a dentist, but if I want to fit in with this conversation, you know, but then it's funny how you said that things just like, it felt, it was spiritually it fell into your lap. That's how it was for me with teaching. And mm. really, I always, I just found myself always connected to just the learning and there's just something within me like it's just so so soulful I don't even have like if somebody asked me to explain I don't know why it's there so it's just like God just planted it's organic it. it's organic yeah it just yeah, comes
0: through yeah it
1: just comes right through I like I feel like I I live it I breathe it I sweat it <laughs> you know it's just like I don't know what it's, I I'm blessed that way I, I'm very thankful um if I want to like say like look back at your career or look back or it doesn't even have to be your career I guess it could just be through your your life and I know you said you had these wonderful emails I love getting those emails also listeners people love emails and getting feedback no matter who you are you send a, send an email to your husband I don't care to your kid let them know you're proud of them everyone loves feedback okay <laughs> but uh, looking back Or do you have like these moments like you're like, I am so proud of myself at that, that this moment is like, oh, my gosh, that's like a proud moment of mine. You got any of those? Yeah,
0: I think one of the most challenging things about being um, a confidential practitioner is that you're just bursting with these incredibly life affirming stories that you're never allowed to share, you know, and so. Um, I think one of the ways that I manage that, you know, because I am on the one hand expressive, you know, kind of a a teacher personality, but I also am very, very like extremely protective of, of my clients, you know, privacy and confidentiality is that I have a policy with my blog. Um, My blog has over a hundred posts. I I write a lot about, you know, the patterns that I see um, in human interaction. I have a colleague, Rachel Herkman, who had, who put it very well. She said, I write not about people, but about patterns. Um, And so, um, you know, and, and so my rule say is. Say that again. It, say that again. I love that. I, I I don't write about people. I write about patterns. Right? Is that go. a great line, Rachel? Yes, Hartman. it is. That's and, go,
1: that's yeah. gonna be the post. <laughs> beautiful,
0: right? It's beautiful. It's great because it it's it, and it's, it's very reassuring. You know, at this point, you know, most people come to me through my writing. So if you don't want a therapist who's a writer, you're not even going to call me. But um, you know, but but uh, if, in fact, sometimes people say like, "Oh, are your clients worried that you're going to write about you?" I'll say, "No, actually, they asked me to write about them. Like, could you write me up? Like, i will like, feel like like." Like they just want their story to matter to people, you know, so, um, but, but actually my policy is that in order for me to write up a a fictitious case study, it has to be that at least three, at least three of my clients can identify with the case and say, oh yeah, that's, that's like me. Right. And obviously I would change all of the, you know, identifying details, you know, to the point where they wouldn't even know which one is which or whatever. So, um, yeah. So in terms of like, you know, sharing, you know, the proud moments, like you said before, you know, when I get, you know, messages, emails, texts, you know, for, for clients or former clients, letting me know their wins or that they're really doing well now, or have something that we worked on in their sessions, you know, is continuing to impact their, their growth and their well being. There's, I, there's nothing more gratifying, at least, you know, to me than getting that, that feedback, that confirmation that the work that you're doing actually is making a difference in the life of other humans. Cause like, to me, that's kind of like, like one of the biggest things that we're put here in the in the world to do, um, you know. And you know, you got to make a living, so sometimes you get paid for the chesed that we do. Um, but but it's 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 incredibly um, affirming and encouraging to know that the work that you're doing um, really is impacting someone, and not even just in the here and now, of like oh that felt so good, that was a nice session. But like later on, to hear back, like I'm still doing really well. I'm still using the tools that that we worked on. I'm, you know. So to me, that's that's like the biggest joy. Um, And then being able to sort of like recycle the experiences and the stories and use them to educate other people. One of the things that I get a lot of feedback from on my blogs for people that I don't know, you know, total strangers will write in and say, how did you know my story? Oh, this is a cute story. I I had a client who um, wrote to me and saying, wow, I see you wrote my story. You know, I don't I'm not upset. I'm glad that you wrote about it because now people will know. And you know, and, and hopefully they'll be um, you know, they'll they'll take they'll learn a lesson from like everything that I went through. And I was like, which blog post did you think was about you? And sure. she said, she she told she told me and I said, look at the date. <laughs> I had written it before I ever worked with her. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> glad because I can tell that even though she said that she wasn't upset, I think she was a little taken aback. Um, But I I think one of the nice things about being able to write about psychotherapeutic topics, particularly sexual topics, which a lot of people aren't comfortable talking about, particularly in the religious community, is that, you know, the most, the most common message that I get and I love is saying, oh my gosh, I thought it was just me. You know, like people saying like Brené Brené Brown actually wrote a book by that title. I thought it was just me, but it wasn't. Um, and, and people saying like, wow, I, I had no idea that I wasn't some sort of like deviant situation, but that actually this is a phenomenon and something that, you know, needs to be talked about a little bit more. Um, so that, that also is very gratifying because, you know, as practitioners, there's a limit to how many, like to the number of people that we can work with one-on-one. But as writers and educators, there's sort of a passive stream of availability of people being able to access the content that we create. Um, and that that's also incredibly gratifying to you know to know and to hear and to to have that confirmed that like what you're saying is actually helpful uh, means the world.
1: Right. That's so funny when you know when you started talking and I asked you about your proudest moment. I have a proud moment for you, N- not not my own. I'm saying my proud moment was when I I think it was last week that Meaningful Minute you joined forces with Meaningful Minute and you had a post and they posted you. For me, I've been, <laughs> I've, been I've been I've been hounding meaningful minute I think since pesach now please have more women could we set up a meeting could you please have more women could you please have more women could you please have more women women women, 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 women right and then when I saw you I'm like ah yes <laughs> for a woman and it's Sheva. this is awesome this is awesome I was so that was my proud moment for you on your behalf for me <laughs> I'm like I'm like I was you don't even know like I'm like driving them crazy. I think every week I must text him women, <laughs> you know, because I, I, I think it's so important. Well, he I'm not
0: the only one. He's interviewed a lot of women. That meaningful minute filming was so outside my comfort zone. I was so not comfortable doing it, um, but he really like kind of talked me into it. And I'm glad that he did because it's, it's good to go outside our comfort zone sometimes.
1: He did a great job. I thought it was awesome. I think it was just Fantastic. Now, if people want to reach you, what is the best way? Even though I'm going to have it on my podcast, we'll put out everything that you want me to put out, but just say it right here what's the best way someone could reach you? Thank you. The best way to
0: reach me is either via my website, elliestableist.com. There's a submission form and that goes straight to my email, which I see daily. Um, or if you want to email me directly, that's fine too. The email speaks to someone at gmail.com. Um, I do have an Instagram handle. Um, I think it's lists underscore Alicia. I don't know if you search Alisha on Instagram, it comes up, but honestly, for professional things, like either to be a client or to lecture, um, email is better because I don't see all the DMs. Okay. Um, so yeah. So anyway, yeah, no, thank you. And, and I'm going to definitely
1: put a link also for your book. So we're going to, we're going to, you know, <laughs> pound that book out there. Okay. <laughs> but And, and the, the courses are also accessible yes. on the website. Like okay, one the thing, on the website thing
0: Heather taught me is to like have all of your, work accessible like the, the website is the center of everything so the everything the book and the courses and the blog post and, and some video
1: content is all accessible on the website oh excellent excellent this has been such a pleasure thank you Elisheva, for your time I you're know welcome. precious thanks. oh my gosh this was <laughs> awesome you're a powerhouse I loved it I loved every minute of it and I'm sure the audience will as well thank you so much
0: my pleasure thanks for having me have a great one
1: Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of Drink It In, the podcast. You can find all my episodes and so much more at maverickpodcasting.com. Come connect and say hi with me on Instagram at drinkitin underscore Jordana. If you like the show, leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next time.